get your head in the game, coach. You're about to get your audio dose of softball inspiration. I'm Melanie Rushing. And I'm Alicia Smith. And we help softball teams win more games and have more fun. Right now, you're joining thousands of passionate coaches across the nation who are dragging the field, prepping for the day, or driving to that other job while they learn and grow as a coach. So if you're ready to learn how to build a strong team culture, get your players to believe, and make a real difference in their lives, you're in the right place. This is the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast. I'm Melanie Rushing here with Alicia Smith and a special guest. I'm super excited to have him on. <laughs> We've been working on this for a while. He has been super patient with me, and guys, it's going to be worth the wait. I cannot wait for you to hear all he has to talk about. He's totally our people. Please welcome Colin Sanelia. Welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Totally worth the wait. And this is, I have two podcasts that I listen to like every single podcast. And I was on one uh, already for, it was, it's a Yankees podcast and this is the second one. So now I'm like, all right, I completed it. (laughs) Excellent. I take that as a big compliment knowing your love for the Yankees and just Yankees period. So that's awesome. (laughs) I will take that. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love your podcast. I mean, so many great guests that I've learned and, and I learned a lot from both of you too, and, and the things that you say and to talk about. So I just, I I'm one behind. So I just listened to uh, the one where uh, Alicia, I think you had all your former players on that. That was super good. Super interesting. Yeah. That was really special for me. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. But thank you for listening. That's really cool. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> All right, before I make you jump into our questions, tell us a little bit about you, your journey in sport and performance, and a little bit about what you do now. Yeah, uh, so I am originally from the Northeast. I don't know why I always feel the need to tell people that, but I <laughs> it must just be like that that tough Northeast, like, you know, you just you build that up, that blue collar attitude. And, and I live in Charlotte, North Carolina now, so everything seems easier. But I, uh, I grew up in the Northeast, Scranton, Pennsylvania, Syracuse, New York, and I mean, sports have always been just the the central or not the, if not like the only thing in, in my life that, that I enjoyed. I got to play baseball, basketball, soccer growing up, played baseball all the way through college at Penn State Scranton. So loved it. Uh, you know, grew up, uh, my, my story is really not all that interesting as far as my childhood or anything like that. I uh, just really wanted to play as many sports as, as I could. Uh, my parents are actually selling the house that we grew up in, in Syracuse. And I was just there for the last time last week. And I was just walking around different, <laughs> very sad. Uh, and I was just walking around different neighborhood uh, places in the neighborhood where we used to play like street hockey and all that type of stuff. And I walk around like our neighborhood here in Charlotte. And I mean, the weather is way better here most of the year than it is in Syracuse, but you never see that type of, you know, get together, whether it's street hockey or even just, you know, kids hanging out together and things like that. So I, I, I sound like the old man, get off my lawn. So I'll, uh, I'll move on from there. But <laughs> the, uh, the sports in my life, those never went away. Uh, obviously I stopped playing after college. And when I got out of college, I was one of those typical kids just didn't really have an idea of what I wanted to do. Ultimately I ended up falling into recruiting an HR semi-purposely. Uh, I was in the restaurant industry and prior to that 
and I really loved the people aspect of the restaurant industry. And that was something I wanted to carry over into like a more stable nine to five job with benefits and things like that and recruiting and human resources screamed to people. So went over there, not totally sure what to expect, but knowing I'd at least probably enjoy it. And uh, honestly, I tell people it was probably the best move I could have ever made because that is where I developed my second passion now uh, outside of obviously my family and uh, things like that. But uh, my passion around development, you know, specifically when it comes to leadership, culture building, team building, all these type of things. And I'm learning it at you know, startup companies in Syracuse, startup tech companies in Syracuse, doing these workshops, conducting these hands-on things and really diving into everything and anything, books, podcasts, like everything you can think of. I, I just wanted to soak it up. I had never been that passionate about something outside of sports. So it was really cool, really interesting. Made me think, you know, hey, there, there's something to this. And, and uh, about three years ago, I decided that I wanted to take that corporate experience and transfer it over into athletics. Uh, I felt there was a need to do similar type of work in athletics with student athletes, with coaches, especially at the high school and collegiate level, which is where we do the majority of our work. And it's been the most fun three years, uh, even with the pandemic, uh, kind of putting a halt to pretty much everything for a moment there. But it's been a lot of fun being back in athletics, doing that work. I mean, learning it in the corporate world was great because you really got that structure and you really learned how to do that leadership development and that culture building. Uh, but doing it in athletics and being around people like yourselves and uh, that speak the lingo and understand the competitiveness that most often comes from athletes. I mean, that has just been so rewarding and so much fun. And um, I still soak it up all the time. That's why I listen to your podcast. It's a, a never ending cycle. I don't try to pretend that I'm an expert <laughs> in any of this type of stuff, but um, that's how I got here. And I guess that's how I'm talking to you two today. <laughs> so good. Yep. You're totally our people. We get it. <laughs> we same thing. We both had other things we could have done, but we knew sports yeah. coaching, working with people the whole time. Sure. So now let's talk about a little bit about what you do and how you help these leaders. So our whole premise is about helping teams win more games and have more fun. So from your perspective, what do you feel really helps fulfill that mission? Yeah. And I love that mission because especially that having fun, like at the levels that you work at, the levels that I work at, that's really the most important aspect to everything. It gets overlooked so often, not just by administrators or coaches, but parents, uh, even sometimes student athletes themselves, they buy into it. They're influenced by all these people. So the, the fun aspect really sticks out to me. And I'm, I'm glad that you, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, asked that question. <laughs> we do, we do so many different fun things through the, the leadership Academy and, you know, it's whether it's relationship building, whether it's better communication and having difficult conversations as weird as that sounds, it can be fun to do. Uh, but I think like when we first connected and you were telling me about the setup and everything, and I was trying to think, okay, like what are, what are some of the most rewarding, fun things that we do from a, you know, from a, our vantage and in my standpoint. And I think the the biggest thing, and I, and I talk about this in, in the book that I just published is really getting involved in the community and like connecting wins and losses to more than just, you know, literally just the wins and losses. Like, 
I'm super competitive. I want to win. I totally get it. And I, and I most often take losses harder than I do wins. Like I, I enjoy the wins, but I don't dwell on them. Like I do losses. So um, I totally get it. But at the same time, if the only thing that you're doing is focused on wins and losses, like if that's what your culture is built off of, for example, and you are in the state of North Carolina where there's hundreds, thousands of schools, softball schools competing for the same state championship, odds are not in your favor that you are going to be the one who wins that state championship and is the last team standing. And along the way, you've probably had a loss or two. It's not you know, like football where there's like seven games and you can go undefeated and then you know run your way through the playoffs. So uh, it, it, uh, it's a conversation that I have quite often about like how we need to get away from just wins and losses, because if that's the only thing your culture is built off of, you're probably not going to, you're not going to be happy at the end of the year. And uh, your kids are going to get burnt out, you know, if that's the only thing they're focused on. Um, and so bringing it back to the community and saying like, okay, how can we play for someone within the community or something within the community? How can we connect to something that is bigger than our team? Because it's, it's like that evolution. Like you, at first you take it at an individual level, like you want them to see the team focus on everything. And now you want to take that team focus and see the community focus. Uh, and see that even if you do lose, you are in, like, there's a reason that there are girls showing up to get your autograph before and after games. Like there, there's something to that. Right. Uh, so being able to connect to your community and then uh, the things that, that I try to implement and I can go into as much detail as you want about it is, is a way that the Yankees go about it. They call it hope week. Uh, and, and again, we could talk about it in as much detail as you want, but it's essentially taking a week out of their season and identifying and honoring people that do really great things for the Bronx community in New York. Uh, and they, they reward those people, they highlight those people, they give them opportunities to tell their story. A lot of them are nonprofits that don't have a lot of money. And obviously the Yankees have a ton of money. So it's a, it's a really cool concept that they started back in 2010. So it's been around a long time. They've influenced not just other teams in baseball to do something similar, but other like there's an elementary school in New Jersey that I read about that does it as a result. Uh, and it's something that I always, I don't know if challenge is the right word, but I, I ask <laughs> my coaches that I work with and even the student athletes, I say, if you can't do a week, let's do a day. If, if you can't do a day, let's do a half day. If you can't commit half a day to your community, then, you know, there's, there's probably some other underlying issues that we need to address. But uh, as far as fun goes, like when you can con connect to your community like that, I don't know if there's anything that's, that's more fun, that's more rewarding um, and, and just makes you get all those good feels out. And I think that's what's so important is, is making it bigger than the game. Right. And I think that that's yep. what that, that kind of does. But in addition to that, you, you know, kind of going back to just the, the idea of making things fun. Right. So I think when a lot of coaches hear that, right, they think, Oh, like joking around and not being serious and how can we focus? And I understand winning's fun, but what would be your advice to help a coach kind of interject some of that fun, you know, in addition to doing something like connecting with the community without having it, you know, be, be something that's so silly or, or joking around with the kids all the time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I say it all the time, like 
life isn't all sunshine and lollipops or rainbows, you know, so uh, you can't, you certainly can't operate that way, especially as a coach and, and expect that everybody's going to buy into that and, and believe that that's the way that your program operates. Um, having fun can actually be as simple as making things more competitive, for example, uh, competition can, can actually lead to fun. So, um, you know, again, I'll, I'll just stick to softball or baseball because those are my sweet spots too. Um, if you're doing, you know, a hitting contest or uh, a running contest on the bases and, and, you know, putting that competition aspect into it, I mean, we're not talking Wolf of Wall Street, right? Like we're not trying to, to backstab each other and, and those type of things. Um, but athletes, for the most part, crave competition and competition equals fun if you just have them out there you know especially in a baseball or softball scenario where there is so much idle time and you're just i mean people joke all the time i was the kid out in the outfield picking the dandelions and all that type of stuff there is a lot of time to think there is a lot of time to just kind of kick the dirt and uh, kind of get bored with the sport even if you love it so to implement those things into a an actual practice isn't the worst thing in the world um and another thing I think from a, a fun aspect is the off field stuff going back to that. And, and I realized that all, everything that we do from a culture perspective or from a leadership development perspective is extremely hard to measure in comparison to, uh, you know, being able to, to get somebody's stats on, you know, what, how they're pitching, how they're fielding, how they're hitting. So I realized that it's arbitrarily harder to actually measure that stuff, but when you hear stories, whether you're talking to high school athletes or you hear from a retired athlete like a CC Sabathia who talks about when they were when when the Yankees were doing things together off the field, like whether it was on the plane when they were traveling, playing cards on the plane, uh, just you know joking around, having conversations, or you know they're going out and and doing things. Uh, Penn State football is is one that stands out to me. Uh, that's where I went to school, and, and James Franklin a lot of times will take the team bowling, uh, just doing some type of like off field thing. Uh, I was talking to uh, Taylor Fuller. Uh, she played softball at the University of Florida. Uh, so I talked to her about a year, year and a half ago for my podcast. And she was telling me about some of the things they did at the university of Florida. And uh, one of them was uh, as silly as going to her coach's house for like a craft night. Uh, and uh, she was like, it was ridiculous to think about like when we were first doing it, we were like, why are we going over for you know, arts and crafts where, you know, teenagers, 20, 21, 22 years old, like college students. Uh, but they, they really got to know um, the coach. They got to know the family and they got to know each other uh, because, you know, you, you just put yourself into a, a situation like you can learn a ton from competition. We talked about that, but you can also learn a ton from each other when you just take away the context of your sport, for example, uh, and just kind of open it up a little bit. So I definitely always encourage that as well. Team dinners. Those were like some of the most important things for me uh, growing up is like those spaghetti dinners. We would go to one of our teammates house and uh, my buddy, Greg, his mom would have like the pan was, you know, huge uh, just full of spaghetti and and feed like 20 boys and <laughs> but it was it was so fun we and I, I you know I don't think it's a surprise that we won a sectional championship that season and that was my junior year and then my senior year nobody took that over myself included uh and we did not go as far that year and I think there's like a direct correlation like we were closer we were a better more talented team my senior year 
but we were not as close and we were not, we did not play for each other like we did during my junior year. So like, while it may be harder to like actually get numbers on that and to measure it and to like give that data, uh, I think there's a lot of evidence out there that it really works. So good. And both of us, of course, no one really be able to see us, but we're all like nodding, like, uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> we get it too. And I am just having this awesome vision of, cause I only know Tim Walton for Florida from what I see on TV, which is like yeah, in game, yeah. super intense. <laughs> I'm imagining him with that face, inviting someone to craft night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and like, you know, that's, that's the context, right? Like that's, that's what you get to see. And, and that's probably how he is on the field, you, you know, in, in competition and that's what you want. Um, but off the field, you, you don't, it, it's just like the opposite, right? Like if it's not always sunshine and, and rainbows, it, it can't always be general patent either. You're, you're going to burn out that way. So uh, you have to find that, that middle ground to be able to operate, I think. For sure. So as we're like doing these things, I see this question pop up all the time in softball coaching groups. Like, what are some things I can do? And everyone has ideas for activities. So he, Colin just listed like 20 awesome ones. I'm like, Ooh, I want to do that and that. <laughs> um, but I think the most important thing is knowing like, all right, was that a good one for my team? <laughs> mm -hmm. What are some of the signs that, you know, like this was, this was a good activity. This was a good thing. We should keep going again. How do coaches know? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I guess is like indirectly a part of this is to, I, I always encourage coaches to put together some type of like player led um, council, I guess, for, for lack of a better phrase. So, you know, to have those people that you can rely on a little bit more, um, you know, especially if we're at the college level, but even at the high school level, I mean, a lot of times high school coaches are, are teachers, um, their coaching, you know, isn't, isn't their main priority. Um, and the kids have so much going on. So to like to find that time to say like, Hey, did you really enjoy X, Y, Z activity that we did? Or to even see like the fruits of that labor, right? Like you can't, if you're teaching a class and you're not with your team all day, then it's hard to see, you know, are, are they gelling together? Is this helping them click and everything? So the player council, I think is, is the important bridge to all of that, where, um, you get people that you can really trust who can communicate, not just with you, the coach or the coaching staff, uh, but can communicate with the players. Cause that's ultimately what's the most important. That's, that's the question you're asking. Like, is it clicking with the players? Cause it's one thing for me or for you to think this is like an amazing idea and, and we should do this all the time. But if it's not helping the players gel and if it's not pushing the needle per se, then it's a waste of time and you don't want to keep doing it. Now that can change from you know, year to year, for example, or season to season, you, you know, you bring in different people, people graduate, you know, those type of things. But um, if you're, if you're having an arts and crafts night, you know, every Sunday and you think it's this great idea because the legendary coach at university of Florida did it, but your players are like, this is the dumbest thing that, <laughs> that we've ever done. Then, you know, you probably after four weeks are going to be like, all right, well, let's move on. Let's, let's try something else. Maybe they do want more competition. Like when I talked to Larissa Anderson at uh, the university of Missouri, she is all about owning it, hard work and competition. Like that is her philosophy. It could not be more different. Um, and, and it works. And, and she got results before she came to Missouri. That, that's why they hired her at Missouri to rebuild that culture. And 
I I tend to lean toward, more toward the way that Larissa operates. Uh, but it, it's not to say that one's better than the other. It's just to say that there's a lot of different ways to do things. So, you know, have the to have the ability, like you said, to kind of self audit yourself um, and, and say like, okay, is this working? Is is a good method I think to go by versus, you know, again taking that I know everything, I know it's best, and we're just gonna we're just gonna grind through it. If the kids don't like it, then too bad, <laughs> you know. So I, I mean, at the end of the day, you'd ideally want to like it too, but you know what's what's most important is is getting the kids on board, um, and and so. Yeah, I think as a as a coach, as an adult, you know, we can we can at least uh, we can find it in ourselves to enjoy activities maybe that we wouldn't even love to do on our own if it came to benefit the team. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I like your comment about the the council because it, you know I've done I've done leadership councils basically at, at Madawan because one of the things I recognized kind of early on through some failures is that if you don't teach them how to do the things you're asking them to do, you're going to be greatly disappointed, right? Because they're actually looking for a lot of direction. These kids love direction, look for it, and will yeah. kind of take the reins. But I think there's got to be a good balance between teaching them and, and letting, giving them some rope, right? To be able to try different things. And I think that's a great like example um, from, from an idea of thinking about how to create these uh, team activities that will be effective and that the kids the kids like and I think the effectiveness is the more important part than the actual activity itself right to, yeah. to kind of watch those things so from a leadership standpoint what would be something that you would talk to um, coaches about to help their or or leaders to help them give them some of the how-tos on how to lead yeah so through the leadership academy we developed uh, what, what we call the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. So we use those seven pillars as the foundation. It's not to say that these are the only leadership attributes or uh, there's um, nothing else that, that you can bring to the table, but it's, it's a really good basis to start and identify where somebody's strengths and weaknesses and challenge areas may be. So you have everything from emotional intelligence to communication to motivation. Again, things that aren't necessarily that easy to measure, but are vitally important for leaders as, as individuals. So we what, what we often do especially if we're like in a one-on-one -on -one training session is I'll take those seven pillars and we have them all identified, you know, written out. We'll give, we'll give the student athlete the model and we'll say, okay, kind of rate yourself. Like, are you good with one? Are you good with two? Are you good? You know, so on and go through the seven and um, you know, just try to get from them what, where they think their strengths are. Um, because I always come back to, we never want to forget about the strengths. Like so, so often when we're doing leadership development or we're doing culture building, we're talking about challenges, we're talking about areas of weakness, uh, but most often and there are bright spots to look at and there are strengths that we can build on that will help us get better in those areas. So always want to be able to identify where are your strengths. I always tell people if there's seven pillars, for example, and again, this is arbitrarily our seven pillars, it's not going to work for everybody. But if there are seven pillars, I can almost guarantee you that you are not good at all seven. <laughs> and that's not to say that you're not a capable leader or that you're a dumb person or something like that. It's just to say we all have the ability to get better. One of mine, and it's ironic because I'm on a podcast with you, I think 
personally, my biggest area of weakness is communication. That is pillar six, I think, pillar five. Uh, and how we talk about communication is a practical, low-key approach. So being concise with your words and, you know, not, we don't need the rah-rah, like, you know, every once in a while that might work, but, you know, actually communicating what you're trying to say is, is more important. And I tend to struggle with that because I get very passionate about what I'm talking about. And then I go on tangents and it never ends. So again, it's ironic that <laughs> it's ironic that I'm on here, but um, I can even admit that I'm not good at all seven. So we want to figure out if you're good in one, two, four, for example, and you struggle with the other ones, then let's, let's work on those other ones. And again, highlight the, the strengths that you already have and, and help the, Use, use that as a vehicle to help you. So uh, that's usually the, the basis and the starting point um, where we build that foundation off of. All the situations are obviously different, you know, team settings, uh, what's going on in their personal lives, you know, all these different components that you have to really talk about if you want to, if you truly want to develop and, and you truly want to be a leader, like all of these, all of these components matter. It's not just what you do on a softball field, for example. Um, and not even just from a, a leadership standpoint or a performance standpoint. So uh, really uh, building that relationship, I, I think, is like the biggest component to being able to help a student athlete, for example, become a better leader is for them to, if I'm one facilitating, they have to trust me, you know, not just what I say, but, you know, we'll we'll put in exercises, you know, so they're they're practicing when they're not with me or they're at least being aware of you know, areas and things that uh, are uh, challenges to them. So uh, for them to trust me is is a key thing. And that takes some time. So, you know, we we never go into a, a training agreement. Um, and so our training agreements, we don't have contracts. Uh, they're they're open ended uh, student athletes. The way the way I see it, whether you're at the high school or even middle school uh, or at the college level, uh, you have enough going on. You don't need to be bound by a contract. Um, if you want to do the work, we will do the work. I ideally would like to do work with somebody on a week to week basis. And when we do the work with people normally, like if they're, they're really invested, they'll come back week after week and we'll do a virtual call like this and, and everything. But that first month at least is again, just identifying everything. It's just talking. It, it, there's no promise, no guarantee, nothing like that, that you're going to go from, you know, being a, being a three on, on a scale of one to 10 to being a 10 in the first month. Um, but what we will do is really identify everything in that first month and then build from there. And, and, uh, you know, taking that approach is the slower approach, obviously, but, uh, when you're, when you're truly trying to build a relationship, that's, that's what matters. And, um, for me to be transactional, uh, and, and then teach it a different way in a workshop or something like that. Uh, I'm for sure somebody would have blown me up on the internet by now and said, you know, he doesn't practice what he preaches. So, um, it's, it's really important, I think, to, to build those relationships. And then that ultimately will help you develop the best leaders that you can. Good one. And that was, you said it's a little bit slower, but it's only slower at first. It is so much more efficient. <laughs> Yeah. when you build that good base because i've done the opposite <laughs> let me tell you <laughs> having to rewind mid-season after season like okay now i gotta go backwards takes much more time so yeah well and and everything that you're asking uh, both both of you just gets at the crux of how hard leadership is and like how hard it is 
to build a compelling culture. Like I don't say that to scare people off. I just say it to be realistic. Like when you have people who are like, why couldn't you have done this? Or why didn't you do that? I mean, these are the same people who've never done any type of leadership for the most part. And, and, you know, again, not here to bash people, but leadership is ridiculously hard to do well. So it is going to take time. You probably will have setbacks even when you become semi good at it. Uh, it's just important to, I think, keep that in context because then, then you will be like someone like you two who are constantly on the hunt to, to get better and you're not settling for, you know, hey, I have all this coaching experience. I'm the expert. Just come see me. Uh, you're, you're doing more than that. You're going the extra mile and that's what really matters. Oh, so good. Go ahead, Lisa. <laughs> Cut you off. I was going to say, like, it, it's hard for, it's hard for adults, right? Leadership is hard and we can't, and I just, I can't stress enough that if we don't, if we don't help our kids understand what it looks like in compare, in conjunction with your expectations and the culture that you have, that you're just, you're setting them up for failure, I think. And I think that if the two things that you just talked about to me are the most important things of coaching like throw the X's and O's out. And, you know, I've said many times on this podcast, I'm not a hitting coach. And so those are the types of things that I don't, I don't focus on. Are they important? The mechanics and get, of course they are. I know that, but without those two things, and I think those two things are also the hardest thing to do without those two things. I don't think you can um, take your program to the next level. You can't, you can't give these kids tools that will help them for their for their life. And I think that that you couldn't have said it any better. And I appreciate, I appreciate the work that you're doing because the world needs more of people or more of people like you to be able to help these kids because coaches can't do it alone. Neither can teachers or parents. And just thank you for the work that you do. Yeah. Thank, thank you. And, and you're speaking to sustainability, right? Like you're saying, Absolutely. you're saying <laughs> a bad culture can overcome one season and, and win a championship, but can it year over year yeah. continue like that? No. So again, you're just unlocking, it's the sustainability piece that we're, we're all trying to figure out. <laughs> right. And that's what helps build the kids, right? Because if they're not, if they're in a sustainable environment, that's how they grow as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's like perfect into what I was going to ask you about next. The, <laughs> one of the most iconic programs ever, honestly, in sports, you have that type of sustainability year after year the Yankees, uh, hate them as much as you want haters out there who I, I can hear through the earbuds uh they've <laughs> they got something right so tell us a little bit more about your book what it's about and then tag on the end where people can find the book and work with you more yeah sure thank you so the book is called culture of excellence what we can learn from the yankees about leadership it is the short version is a 30 year account. It's a, a compilation of leadership stories from the Yankees franchise. So coaches, players, executives, the owner, et cetera. So uh, that's the short, the longer concise version is, it is a, a true resource to address everything that we've talked about throughout the course of our conversation today. What does sustainability look like? What does good leadership in, um, adversity situations look like uh, how do we how do we replicate the success that we've had because that is is a question that a lot of people ask themselves and so the yankee story is really interesting because you take that 30-year scope i'm guilty of it i said this on all the podcasts where i've gotten interviewed for the book i indulge in podcasts and books about the championship season i totally think they're cool 
it's really interesting, but so much goes right during the championship season that sometimes you lose the context of what happened before and after. And so the 30 year scope of the Yankees is cool because when the story starts in 1989, they're the toxicity of baseball. So this is not a fluff piece (laughs) for the Yankees, even though I'm a fan of the Yankees and that's no secret. They were the toxicity of baseball and it took a couple of really tragic things happening for them to turn the page and then that turns into a dynasty and they're winning championships on the field during the late to mid or excuse me the mid to late 90s and early 2000s. Then they run into this dead period where they're just throwing money at people and they totally lose the culture that they they just spent all this time building up because they just want to win so badly. And so everything we talked about in the beginning of the conversation and then they throw on like a little bandaid, they get a championship. And that's why I say the championship season is cool, but the Yankees last championship came more than 10 years ago. And if you were going to write a book about that championship season, that was a great team. That was a great season, but nothing really great came after that um and they entered into this this other dead area where uh they they just were not a good product on the field they were getting old um and the whole time there's this like friction between management and between coaches and between the players like what direction are we actually going to go and finally in 2016 the guy with probably the most most clout outside of the owner in the organization, Brian Cashman convinces the owner, Hal Steinbrenner. He's like, we got to do this differently. We've been trying it for the last you know, 15 years. It hasn't worked. We have to do something different if we want to compete in the way that baseball is built today. They make this big change. They've had really successful teams the past four seasons. Have they won another championship? No. But again, the point isn't that championships equal excellence. The point is that your players from other teams, for example, come to the Yankees because they know they can compete. They come to the Yankees because they know they'll get treated well. They come to the Yankees because they know the Yankees support their community. You know, things that everybody assumes that professional athletes, for example, overlook these things because they get paid. You know, Garrett Cole get $324 million over nine years. And I'm not discounting the money. That's obviously an important aspect at the professional level. But again, like if you're talking to a CC Sabathia, I listen to his podcast all the time and he talks about how important that culture was for him to stick around when he was older, his body was beat up. He really wasn't the same type of player that he was when he first came to the Yankees. The only reason he wanted to stay there was because of the culture and the culture resulted in them being able to compete. If, if it was like it was prior to 2016, there's no way Sabathia would have hung around for another two, three years. And so if professional athletes have that same desire to be in a culture that's really compelling, really inclusive, then at the amateur level, that that's definitely something that people are craving. So uh, the book is, like I said, a compilation, uh, all those years, all those stories. I have a ton of them that are my favorites. I won't bore you all with them today, but uh, definitely, definitely encourage you to check it out. It's, I think it's a great resource. Like even if you're not a Yankee fan or you're not a fan of the sport of baseball, all these stories translate. Like you're not reading about, did the Yankees win this game? Did this person hit 300? Uh, you're, you're learning, you're reading leadership stories and you're leading, you're reading about the culture of the organization. So uh, baseball is a business. We're all in, business in one way or another and the Yankee players, coaches, executives are people and we're all people. So that's how you can relate to the book. Even if you don't enjoy the Yankees or enjoy the sport of baseball and uh, you can find the book pretty much anywhere online. Uh, 
easy access, just go to my company's websites, www.talent409.com backslash culture of excellence. There's a, uh, there's a Kindle version. There's an ebook version. There should be an audiobook version before the holidays. If you're holding out for that, but so far the reception has been really good. We were number one on Amazon uh, bestselling list in the baseball category. Uh, it's been really cool to see the reception uh, of everything. And I'm just hopeful that it can, you know, help people. That's, that's really, that's why I wrote it. So I just wanted to help as many people as possible. And that is a wrap for today. So grab your copy of Culture of Excellence. And remember, today is the last day to enter the Pocket Radar giveaway. Just head to mentalsweetspot.com slash pocketradar for instructions to enter. And you could be the proud owner of a $400 smart code system. Then join us back here next week for another episode and a brand new product that multiple coaches have already coincidentally asked us for. You're going to love it. If you want to submit a question for us to answer on air or have a guest you'd love for us to have on, please feel free to reach out to support at mentalsweetspot.com or shoot us a message on social media. Thank you again for joining us. Have a good one.